So I think um, you things that you're passionate about could very well be great career options for you. In my case, it wasn't so much the case, but I think for sure they can overlap. I think talking to people like Professor Bullock or other career advisors is really important to see like, okay, this is my, these are my passions. How many jobs are there actually in this field and who gets them and how much experience do I need to get them? What does the day-to-day look like? Hello, it's Marcy Bullock with season two of your favorite career readiness podcast. Learn tips on personal and professional development, hear inspiring stories of overcoming obstacles. I devote my life to helping other people figure out what to devote theirs to. This is Marcy Bullock with the most important five Ps. Stay present, trust the process, explore your path, release the pressure valve, and unleash your potential. Hello, this is Marcy Bullock. Welcome to Wolfpack Career Chats. I am so excited today about our special guest, Jill Ravam, who's coming to us from Baltimore, Maryland today. I met Jill through someone that we mutually love and respect, and we became friends a few years ago. We have done a lot of fun things together, including singing karaoke. I have sampled some of the most amazing baked goods that she has provided to our family. We have played pickleball together. And not only does she have this fun side of her personal life, but I'm incredibly inspired by the success that she's had in her career professionally. She has just transitioned from that decade of the 20s into her 30s. So she's a full on adult now. And today we get to listen to um, some of the things that she's learned on that journey. So welcome, Jill Ravam. Thank you so much for having me. We're so happy you're here today. To kick us off, Jill, tell us a little bit about your story of where you are today and how you got there. Sure. So I was actually thinking, Marcy, I don't know if you've seen my full resume or know all of the random things I've done, but I've had quite a journey career-wise. So um, I guess the most relevant place to start is uh, where I'm from, which is Mount Airy, North Carolina. I don't know how many of you know where Mount Airy is, but it's a tiny little dot on the North Carolina map, a very small town. Um, And I went from there to Washington and Lee University in Virginia, and I studied religion. That was my major. And I also minored in studio art. And then after that, I worked at a bakery. So my first job outside of college was um, in Durham at a bakery called Scratch. I was really into food at the time, and I thought that's what I wanted to do with my career. Um, But about a year into it, um, the woman who did the farmer's market for our bakery also worked at an ad agency, and she recruited me over to her ad agency. So I went from the bakery to an online advertising agency, um, which uh, is called Blog Ads. And at the time, this is 2012 eight years ago, uh, the internet was a much different place. And so we were placing these like very low tech ads on like mommy blogs and stuff. Um, So that was my uh, first kind of office job. Then from there, I went to uh, Bronto Software, which is also in Durham. 
um, and worked as an account manager um, and then moved to another software company as an account manager. And all of these from advertising to software was a very similar type of job where I was doing sales. Uh, and then I got kind of fed up with sales. It wasn't what I wanted and switched jobs yet again. Um, but actually this time I, I just quit and I traveled for like six months. I hiked the Camino de Santiago in Spain, um, and which is a 500 mile hike across the whole country of Spain. And during that time, kind of thought about what I wanted to do with my career. That's amazing. I just want to jump in and talk about this 500 mile hike and also just chime in about how interesting is this, students, that we have this religion major who worked in business and worked in a bakery and now just said, I am just going to stop working altogether and figure out what to do next and took this international adventure. So go ahead, Jill. Yeah, so uh, that was definitely a turning point for me. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my career. I knew that I didn't want to continue in sales in tech, um, but I just really didn't know what was next. And to be honest, it was somewhat of an impulsive decision um, as far as life, big life decisions go. I probably planned it for about four or five months, uh, which is actually not that much time to uh, ahead to plan just like quitting my job out of the blue. So anyway, it was great. And I talked to a lot of people along the way. I went um, by myself, I didn't know anyone. Uh, and I found kind of a group and hiked with them. And actually, one of the guys that I hiked with a lot of the Camino um, is a lawyer, and he's Irish, and I think he practices law in London. But we ended up talking a lot about the law. So that was when things kind of started, the wheels in my head started turning about potentially um, going to law school. But I didn't go to law school right from there. But anyway, it was a, an incredible time to reflect um, on where I had been so far and where I wanted to go. And it was right kind of smack dab in the middle of my 20s. Um, so it gave me a chance to just pause. And and you paused in your 20s and you thought about the next step. And uh, have you gotten to the part where you did this outdoor camp? Okay, I know that's about to come. And I was thinking, so it's just amazing. I'll just let you tell the rest of the story. <laughs> sure. So um, after it's funny, I haven't told this story like in a straight timeline and maybe ever, but definitely not in a while. But after the Camino, I didn't, I still wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. And I knew I couldn't apply to law school right away. So, and I loved backpacking. So I actually applied to backpacking guide jobs. And um, my brother in his twenties had gone to wilderness therapy as kind of like a rehab uh, so I knew that it existed, that you could, that people did kind of woods rehab uh, is like a simple way to put it. And so I became, I applied to and was accepted to a position to do that kind of work with adolescents. So um, it's, I, there's a lot to say about it, but kind of in short, um, I led uh, at-risk youth on um, backpacking trips for about a year in Asheville. That's so cool. So you got paid to be out in the wilderness doing counseling and therapy with young people who were going through addiction and other issues with their mental health. Did you get to shower? What was that like? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> my trips were, or my shifts were eight days at a time. So I would do an eight day shift 
and then I would get six days off and then I go back for another eight day shift. So it, it evened out into like two week periods. Um, and so during the eight weeks I was on shift, I did not shower. And then I would go home and I had six days off and I would shower, but yeah, my hair got pretty greasy. <laughs> but what an amazing opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. And I love this story, Jill. And that's why I invited you on the chat because you were able to pull some things that were really important to you. You love being outside, you love travel, and you loved helping people and you got paid. I mean, were you able to pay the bills? Because, you know, let's be real about financial issues that some people can't just travel abroad and do interesting things. Yeah. So the financial side is interesting. And actually when it came to the Camino, like quitting my job, I had saved up, um, you know, a few thousand dollars, but I actually hadn't saved very much. So I chose the Camino because you can stay in hostels for free along the way because it's a religious pilgrimage. So my lodging for an entire month was in these like Catholic uh, free like you don't have to be Catholic, but the Catholic church gives you free places to stay. So anyway, that was one way to save money and still travel. But obviously you still have to, I still had to pay for the plane ticket and I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And then with, uh, when I was a backpacking guide, I actually was so much better with money then than I think I've ever been because for eight days at a time, I couldn't spend any money. And also um, they gave me food on the job and stuff like that. And I would take home my leftover like, can of peanut butter and stuff. And I was pretty frugal, but I was able to go out with friends in Asheville and have a good time. I just lived pretty simply, but I could pay my rent and everything. But I found that like the people I met while I did that and the types of people I hung out with weren't very materialistic and weren't very concerned with spending money. So it never really occurred to me that I was kind of an Asheville bum, but I really was at the time. Wow. And people are chatting uh, these are my life goals and I want to be connected with this organization. So we'll make sure that we add that website onto the podcast link. So what was the biggest thing you learned? Let's go back to you're living in hostels, like you said. So it's very inexpensive and you um, connected with this organization that just all you needed was the funding to fly there. What was the biggest thing you learned from that experience and how long did you do that? So the biggest thing I learned uh, was kind of self-sufficiency. Like I was really scared to travel. Not only had I not traveled by myself, but I had never like been kind of by myself for a whole month. And that's what I had planned. I ended up staying much longer than that in Europe. Um, but at the time I had never done anything like that. And like I said, I'm from a small town in North Carolina. So like, I think it was just like, I had no idea that I was going to be as like strong and independent as I was. And so going somewhere completely alone, not knowing anyone, and then finding a community and a group of people that I really came to like love and that really supported me, um, I think taught me that I can pretty much go anywhere and make a friend and um, that there's so many ties that bind us all, um, even when otherwise we might not have a lot in common. And on the Camino, one of the main things everyone had in common was like this idea that um, we didn't have it all figured out. And uh, yeah, there was nobody I met that was just like, I've got my life figured out. That's why I'm hiking 500 miles. It was like everyone was kind of like, at some transition, maybe they had lost a loved one, maybe they were in between jobs like me. So it was, it was incredible. And I feel now like, you know, there's no adventure 
sure that I can't take on if I want to, although I don't have much time for them anymore. I know because you, you have a, you have the corporate job again, you're going into the law firm. Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but chills thinking about this whole notion of what you took away and then working in this uh, outdoor camp with the therapy that I'm sure shaped you a great deal. And then you decided to go to law school. So tell us about that transition. Yeah. So um, kind of like I described the schedule for backpacking since I had six days off at a time with nothing to do in between shifts, I started studying for the LSAT and I wasn't sure at the time that I wanted to go to law school. I just uh, thought, well, I'll study for and take the LSAT. And if I don't hate it and if I do okay, then I'll just apply to law school and maybe I'll get in, maybe I won't, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. So it's just like one step at a time. Um, But I found that once I started studying, it felt like a breath of fresh air to be like intellectually stimulated. Uh, And I hadn't really been stimulated like that, even in my careers, like uh, previously in my jobs um, in tech. So I just thought that it was worth pursuing. And I still didn't have like everything planned out. I've never been that way for better, for worse. So even I applied to UNC law in June of 2017, because they were the only law school still accepting applications. And law school was starting in August. So again, I did not have a big lead time. I just was like, this is the only place I'm applying because I can go there in three months. And so um, really, for me, it's I, I do a lot of things, probably by instinct. And that's probably why I've been more of a meanderer. Um, I have to like kind of feel it out. And as I started studying and everything, I really, it felt right. Did you ever feel like you were getting behind your peers, watching a lot of people in their twenties move into all these roles and you're still, I mean, let's be real, who has anything figured out in their twenties, but what was that like for you? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually feel that a lot more now than I did then. So in my twenties, I was kind of in the moment more like just wandering. And I think I had a lot of fun. I also had a lot of, I was lonely a lot of the time and had, you know, discontent, hence why I was quitting so many jobs, but I was pretty self-absorbed. Like I didn't really care what other people were doing. Uh, But now I actually do feel like, dang, now that I'm like, have been to law school, I wish I had started a little sooner because there's just a lot of things I want to do with my career. And then also in my personal life, like I'm getting to the age where I need to think about starting a family, but I, I'm like, I don't want to yet. I still have a lot of other things I want to do. So I definitely now look at people and think, dang, they really got ahead of me. And they maybe either bought a house or they're saving for a house, all these things that are just not in my wheelhouse right now. But so yes, I I definitely am prone to comparison. um, But I just recognize like, that there's no other path that could have gotten me where I am other than the one that I specifically took just knowing my personality. Uh, I can't follow like someone else's path. That's why I wanted you to tell your story because I think there's so much pressure on college age students to be like, you have to do A, B, C, and D. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that you can just take a different route. And when you were, were talking about all the things you've done, I think it's reassuring to this class because we're called career exploration. So this is the whole journey that my students are on is trying to figure out what to be when they grow up. And you're a poster child for you don't have to know when you're 21 years old. What do you think about this notion of passion? I think sometimes people feel overwhelmed by the thought that 
they're just not sure what passion to pursue in their career. Yeah, I think when I was in undergrad and I studied religion and studio art, I was very concerned with passion, like what subjects kind of excited me the most or most interesting. Um, And for religion, it was because I really liked the philosophy and sociology and just religion in general. So I was just passionate about the subject, but never had any interest in like working for the church or anything like that. Like I didn't want to go into a career in religion. I just was following my passion for it. And um, similarly, I I really wanted to learn how to bake. So I went to a bakery and that was kind of like a passion move. Um, And I would say on this spectrum, I was like 100% driven by my passions and like 0% practical. Um, And again, I, I kind of glanced over at the side to some of the comments. I do recognize like the privilege in that, like to just follow passion when a lot of people don't have that privilege and have to be more practical. Um, But the way I came about it was I kind of just wandered because I was able. Um, But then throughout my 20s, I think I moved further and further on the practical side of the spectrum and realized that um, it's okay to have a desk job. And not only that, it's okay to want a salary and like to want stability. And like people use phrases like selling out or this or that, but I've come to just uh, kind of uh, not give those words too much credence because um, what matters is like something that is sustainable long-term for me and that just following my passions was not. I definitely can, can be passionate about the law and I like my job, but I think it's a lot more of like an intellectual job for me that gets my mind turning and keeps me engaged during the day and a lot less about passion. And I think that's, that's just more sustainable, like I said, because my passions kind of took me all over the place, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I love this idea that that doesn't have to rule the decisions you make and you're not selling out because you talked about other things that are important to you. And we've been discussing these same things about personal life versus professional life. So let's fast forward to today and the direction that you're going and what's next for you and how you think you're going to keep all those balls in the air. Yeah. So I am supposed to be in New York right now, but because of COVID, I'm starting my job remotely. So um, I am going to work for a law firm in New York, in Manhattan, and I'm going to start in the corporate transactional department and work on mergers and acquisitions, potentially either that or um, capital markets. And I'll probably stay there for a few years. I don't think it's my long-term strategy, but it will help me pay back my loans. And also there's just fantastic and really talented attorneys there I can learn from and get trained under. And then um, my longer term goal is to go in-house at a company uh, and be um, maybe someday like a general counsel of maybe a smaller company. I'm not, I don't think I'm going for like fortune 500 or anything like that. Uh, but that's where I am right now. Oh, and and back to I'm supposed to be in New York, but I'm starting remotely for my firm uh, in a couple weeks. And so I'm actually going to stay in Baltimore where I live right now. So you start in a couple weeks. Uh, you got this big transition starting now, just finishing up law school during COVID and trying to deal with this, like all of our students are, the whole remote situation. And then you'll be moving, you're expecting to New York after things move 
out of the remote. And I, I guess at this point, as you're thinking about that, how do you think you'll juggle all the things that are important to you when it comes to your personal life? And this is going to be a demanding role. Like how many hours a week will you be expected to work? Yeah, so it will be very demanding. And I got to experience that some last summer. And I'm kind of grateful that my internship mirrored what my actual job will be like, because a lot of firms just wine and dine you, but I actually got a taste of it. And I think one thing that I did want to talk about is um, going too far with work. And I think like, regardless, I'll probably work sometimes 80 or more hours a week, but only when I really need to, like, I don't put in more work than I need to, to do a good job. And I have to be that way to maintain some balance and maintain my friendships and relationships. Um, And I think one thing I've seen throughout my 20s and still now at the law firm is you can see people who burn themselves out just trying to prove something. And I think like, that's one thing I'm grateful I don't have as a 31 year old going into my first lawyer job is that I don't have as much to prove like I know that I can do good work and I can do it pretty efficiently. And I'm not just going to put in hours to show that I that I do, if that makes sense. Like I, I'm not going to do it for show. Um, I'm just going to get done what needs to get done. And I think that um, is surprisingly hard for, I think, people that went straight through and from undergrad to law school. And this is their first job ever. And it's a high powered, like, uh, legal job, they feel the need to just always be chained to their desk to just show that they're doing a good job. But it, I've seen that it doesn't actually benefit your career to do that. Um, obviously, you have to be available and at your desk when you need to be there, but there's no need to stay till midnight to show off. <laughs> Nobody cares. And it just makes you more tired. And and I outside of the legal field, I've seen that in other jobs as well, where you can tell who's doing it for show and who's not, and you'll burn yourself out and you'll, you know, um, maybe sacrifice relationships if you do that. Yes. And and this idea of the importance of relationships and taking care of yourself is, is so great to hear you mention. So what's your plan for self-care during this new transition? So, um, something that you know a lot about, uh, about me and that you also do is exercise quite a bit. And so I plan to keep riding my Peloton daily, um, or at least like four or five days a week. And um, for me, that actually is a big transition because I'm not the most like habitual uh, person. And so I haven't always kept a really like regular schedule for working out, but I've found like since law school, and I think for sure when I start my job, like I have to exercise. Um, And then I also do practice meditation and I like to keep um, a few people that I have like real phone conversations with regularly instead of just text or social media, um, because you can get so much out of a 20 minute phone call. And so regardless of how much time I have, like a 20 minute phone call can be incredibly powerful. So I'll try to remember that as I start. Um, And then hopefully a few years down the line, I'd like to get uh, a dog when I have time to take care of one. And that would be like a form of self-care for me because I do love them. But for now, I really, I've almost got a dog during COVID, but I've stopped myself because this isn't what my life's going to look like, uh, in a little bit. So. 
I know. I know. That's going to be great to have the therapy of a friend that you can pet at home. That sounds like a great plan, Jill. I know our students have some questions, and I'd like to ask Jack to unmute first. He has a question about failure in your 20s, which I think is great. So one of the common themes that I've noticed from 20-year-olds, and like I started to notice it myself more as I'm feeling like a failure, even though like I'm accomplishing more than I ever have before. So how do you combat that? in your 20s and realize that you're not a failure? That's a great question. And even just hearing it, uh, it's taken me back. I I definitely felt that way. And it's easy for me to look back on my 20s now with the lens of a 30-year-old and with the self-assurance of a 30-year-old. But I did not have that when I was in my 20s. And the story I told you today sounded like a story, but how it felt at the time was a lot of times I felt lost or I felt like a failure, or like I just didn't have direction where other people did. So it's good for me to hear that and remember how I felt at your age. And I definitely did feel that as well. So I think one way to deal with it is number one, to realize that you're not alone. And that, like you said, other people feel the same way. And uh, remember that we're often comparing how we feel on the inside to what we see on the outside for other people. But most of the time, everyone is dealing with similar or different but hard things uh, behind the surface. So no matter what you think is failure or is success doesn't mean that to the if you're comparing yourself to someone else, you don't know how they feel on the inside about that success. Do they feel trapped by the job they're in that looks outwardly like success? And even in a less negative light, just remember that... Um, there is no objective success or failure. Um, it's up to you to decide what is success for yourself. Thank you for that great question. And another question that was in the chat was from Himanshu, um, a little bit more on this line of passion. Would you please ask yours? All right. So uh, my question was, um, like, so if we have passions about certain things, how do we tell that apart from things that would make good career choices for us? So I remember you were talking about religion and finding out that you weren't as good with the philosophical side and stuff like that. So it's like, is there like any indicators or things that we had to think about with our passions that would be a good indicator if they would be a good career choice as well? Yeah. So I think um, you, things that you're passionate about could very well be great career options for you. In my case, it wasn't so much the case, but I think for sure they can overlap. I think talking to people like Professor Bullock or other career advisors is really important to see like, okay, this is my, these are my passions. How many jobs are there actually in this field and who gets them and how much experience do I need to get them? What is the day to day look like? Um, so once, you know, determine your passions and, and if you want to try to find a job in them, but be kind of start breaking it down into more practical things, like not just how you feel about the job, but what it actually looks like and what it would be like to, to do that day in and day out. Um, and a lot of times I think in college, um, it can seem like there are a lot of jobs in every field, but it's not always the case. So just kind of like, where are the jobs? So like looking through the jobs and seeing which ones would be more compatible with us and what we could see ourselves doing than sure. um, the past. Okay. Thank you. So Carter has a question called, what if we get into a career, but then realize it isn't right for us, but we're not sure where to go after? Well, I can't say that everyone should just quit and go hike or anything like that. Um, I think it's important to take a step back and do a lot of reflection, journaling, talk to loved ones, 
um, talk to people in other um, careers and other fields that might interest you. I think relationships are a huge piece of it. So I have over uh, the course of my career and my many different jobs, a lot of my of the time I would reach out to people, even if I didn't know them that well, to just be like, hey, do you mind telling me a little bit more about your job? Most people are uh, very willing to do that. Um, so I think if you're not satisfied, um, just start talking to different people and start reflecting internally, start looking at job postings, kind of take a holistic approach. I wouldn't necessarily suggest quitting out of the blue like I did, unless you do have a safety net that you've built up for yourself. Excellent. Our time has gone by fast, Jill, so we have to move into our time machine now to the year 2040, and we're going to ask you to give advice to your current self. What do you need to hear today from the Jill who is 20 years older in 2040? So I'm giving myself advice for 2040. You're you're your 2040 self giving your current self advice now. What do you now need to hear? Uh, Keep reading and reading novels and uh, staying engaged uh, intellectually in things outside of work. Um, That's something I've done a lot in COVID. I've now read 25 novels since the beginning of COVID. (laughs) And I don't think I'll keep that up. I'm pretty, I know myself, I probably won't. Um, But I know how important it has been for me during this time uh, to help me grow um, in a lot of different ways. So I want to keep reading and like be a lifelong student, but not necessarily of like rigorous academia, but more of like culture and the arts and literature. That's wonderful, Jill. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for all your questions.